Everything's holy if we look at it the right way. If we look at the world through the lens of Jesus at our center, then we begin to see that um, it all counts. Every part of our lives, everything that we put our mind to, it all matters to God, or at least it all can. doesn't mean it always does because of the way that we deal with it or maybe the choices that we make. But everything in our world is soaked in the spirit of God. Uh, and it's been that way kind of from our origin story. Did any of you see the, uh, the James Webb telescope news this, this past week of this like supposedly cr- like amazing new information that we're getting? Anybody else look at it and be like, I want to really appreciate what this is, but it just looked like, like my screensaver from like when I was in college 20 years ago. And like I understand that it's something so much beyond my mind, but because... We're inundated with, with fake stuff, can I say? With, with, with fake imagery. People are airbrushed. Pictures are, are, are tampered with. Like, it's hard to experience and see the true beauty and wonder that, that we're being told. We're actually looking into the past with images like this. So many light years away that we're looking into something from, from the past. And, and it, it fills you with wonder if you allow it. And unfortunately, sometimes, depending on where we're coming from, wonder at some of the, the, the world that we are discovering in science, it draws some people thinking a, away from God because this world of kind of the, the created earth and the galaxies and science is kind of like against God, right? Like seeking to disprove God. That's, that's how we sometimes, and, and granted, maybe, maybe that's how some people take it. Um, but, but it can do that. Or, or on the other side, um, we can see it as enhancing the wonder of a God that is beautiful, of a God that makes words, makes worlds from words. Um, or we can look at it and say that if we grew up with this dichotomy, that the more scientific things that we learn, I guess the more... God doesn't exist. So we have choices to make of how we see the world. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at understanding our place in the world and what it looks like to live well understanding the story that we come from. But I I couldn't help but in seeing these images from the telescope to hear, um, to think of Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Isn't this um, amazing in terms of the, the beauty of what people, these are, these are thousands of years ago, people looking up at the stars, looking up at the sky, just like we do, and being reminded of the beauty and the grandeur that this is connected to God. Um, they have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. There's just something, there's just something to that. So, we've been talking about uh, this, this series of conversations of seeing the things around us and ourselves in new light. Of, of seeing that, that God designed our world and, and us uh, to be able to, to uniquely point toward his kingdom. And, and all that it holds. And so there's, there's beauty there. So what we're going to do is I'm going to do some theology with you this morning for a few minutes. And then I'm going to invite Ian up. And he and I are going to chat. And we're going to take this, this morning's kind of idea and try to make it just a little bit more practical. All right? So, so um, what we want to talk about 
We talked about, you know, our bodies being holy. We've talked about aging process. We've talked about a lot of physical things, and that's, that's on purpose right now for the first half of these, these talks. Very physical. So today we're talking about our world, and I chose that word carefully, even though we're going to talk about the earth quite a bit. But I, I chose our world um, to talk about how our world is holy in God's sight. And we can't talk about our world being holy in God's sight and special if we don't understand that our origin story begins with a God who creates. So in the story that, that informs us in the book of Genesis, and by the way, if, we, if you haven't been around a long time, we did a whole teaching series on understanding Genesis in the way that it was written um, to the Hebrews and how beautiful it is and how when we engage in these wars of, um, of the, the literalness, we actually are missing the entire point. So it's almost, sorry to offend you, it's almost who cares. Because that was not the point of the original authors, and none of the early Hebrews spent any time debating this. It was irrelevant to the point of the story. The point of the story was God creating the world, and God creating people, and the unique relationship between God, the world, and people. And how the rest of history plays out based on our understanding of all that. So, anyway, so we got to get into this. So, so, anyways, when we think of, let's see, God creator, we're not going to go through the whole Genesis story, but... Um, so God is spirit hovering in the Genesis story. So I don't know how to draw God as spirit. So I'm just going to do that because that seems to be very like, I'm not going to get in trouble with that, okay? Uh, not right now. And of course, we believe also that Jesus was in there. Read Colossians 1 that we're going to look at later, but that's really, really like trippy. So anyways, so what we get is we get this story of, of God who through the power of his voice, right, speaks the heavens and the earth, but he speaks the world into existence. And it's incredible, okay? And, and, and so uh, it's written like a poem with the first three days creating the spaces and the, and the last three days creating um, the, the living things that inhabit and fill the spaces. It's beautiful. It's this, it's this, uh, this evolving, growing world that speaks, that, that, that is filled, and that's full of all of this purpose and beauty. And on the final day, before God rests, on the sixth day, God creates people, right? This is the story. So in, um, in uh, whoops, there we go. In Genesis 1, at the end of this, this whole storyline, we get um, this passage. So God created at the end of the sixth day. God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So, so we get this story, all right? We get this story where the, the world is created and then people are unique in that because they're the only ones given a command. But here's what ends up happening. When we look at this story, we tend to draw two things out of it. Number one, we really are drawn to the idea that we are created in the image of God, right? That we're like God, that there's something in us that bears the mark of God. It's a good, it's a good priority, but it's one of our big ones. And then the second is the purpose right here. Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, all right? So, so we've got this created in God's image. And then the task orientation part, identity and orientation, which is how we're going to orient our lives. To be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth. Um, but linguistically, what's the word that you see over and over again in here? 
Yeah, created. So, so one of the things that we tend to miss in the story of God creating the whole world is that people get created as a part of the whole story. So interestingly, what we have the temptation to do sometimes is to look at the world and say, that's all well and good, but it, like, we're supposed to fill and subdue, so we stop seeing ourselves as actually a part of that earth. So we think we have a role to play, which is great and true, and we think we're God's image bearers, yes and true, but we somehow disconnect ourselves from the earth itself, from creation. We act like we are not a part of it. And so, so what we see is we see an emphasis where there is a growing disconnect between the created world and ourselves, because we don't see ourselves as a part of it, we see ourselves as totally separate from it. And the answer is a both and. Yes, separate because we're uniquely given tasks by God, but created, created people, created people, just like created the heavens and the earth and the birds of the sky and the animals on the land. Like, there is an intended relationship that we sometimes miss because of, dare I say it, our power trip with the last line. And so, so over and over again, in the midst of stories of the story of God creating the world, we miss the created, created. Which brings us, so I'm going to uh, go through a couple of theological ideas, four, four theological ideas. So the first one, the first big idea is we are not separate from the earth that we are called to care for. If, if you look at the story of the world, if we believe that, what, that this, this, incredible, this incredible, powerful, loving God who is founded not on the origin stories like the Babylonians where the gods warred and the earth was a result of a cosmic war and destruction and the heavenly bodies were ripped apart and fell down and, and the blood formed the oceans and the body formed the land. I, would, I love talking about Marduk and Tiamat, but we can't talk about them too much. But their stories of the origin of the world were founded on cosmic violence. Our story of the origin of the world is founded on cosmic goodness. It comes out of love not out of conflict. Violence enters the world later as a foreign form. Oh, sorry, another different story. Okay, so here we go. Just sit with this a moment. We're a part of creation. By the way, this influence is, is from my friend Ian over there. He, he, we talk, we've talked about this many times, and the idea of being connected with creation as a part of it, not separate from it, is something that begins to change how we see the world itself. I like I, I feel connection to something like this because I'm, you know, I'm a runner, many of you, and I, I don't run on roads very much. I run in the woods. And so therefore, because I run early in the morning sometimes and late at night, I see weird animals. And I, I've learned, and I feel like this is the little part of St. Francis. I don't know if you know anything about St. Francis of Assisi, but uh, one of the, the legends of him was that he would go into the woods and he'd preach to the birds. He's, <laughs> he was a, what's, he's eccentric. Eccentric is a really good word for, for him. But, uh, but I've learned to just talk, talk to animals as I go by them. I see deer and raccoons and, and porcupines every now and then and, and snakes. I don't talk to them. They, they're, yeah, they're on my bad side. I like all animals except snakes. Uh, but, but I've learned to, to, uh, to just kind of casually chat with the animals as I go by. And I find, interestingly enough, this is just a fun little tidbit, that when I chat with them, they tend to not be afraid. They tend to just stare at me. I've run three feet from large deer 
hey, friend, how you doing? Thanks for letting me come through. And I just keep going on my way. And they just stand there and they stare at me. It's, it's fascinating. So I've always, the, me being outside in those kinds of settings has actually brought a deeper understanding that I am a part of this world um, and that there is a kinship with living things and created things. There's something unique about that that actually brings me closer to God's heart. But anyways, so we do have this unique role um, as caretakers. Uh, but the word, even that word of, of subdue, uh, it means, it's, it's a pretty intense word. Um, it means taking chaos and bringing it under control. Um, but you can think of that in human terms, wh which often means domination, right? Subdue the earth, it means like dominate it, because that's what human rulers do. Or we can look at the character of God and what we see, and we can understand that maybe subdue is more like gardening, since Jesus tended to highlight these sorts of images, which means taking chaos, which is all sorts of growth. Uh, you imagine a tomato plant uh, curled up on the ground, twirling in on itself and not able to hold the fruit, and you create a trellis for it. You create, you put it in, a, um, in, in wiring that holds it up and allows it to flourish, and you weed and you tend. And in, in doing so, you, you learn to control chaos in a, in a way that brings harmony and purpose and order. So, all right, but let's continue with, with the notion that, um, that we are a part of creation, and if we're not separate from the earth, then something interesting happens when we think about God and God's love. And what, one of the things that happens is if we're not separate from the rest of the earth, then God's salvation and reconciliation for us is not actually completely separate from the earth either. Uh, I, I love talking about this. In John 3.16, Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, Pharisee. Nicodemus is seeking truth, um, but he's not sure what he thinks, so he seeks Jesus out in, 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 at night, kind of alone in secrecy. And Jesus is talking, and uh, it's this big conversation that we won't get into right now, but he gives what we know now is pretty much the most famous verse in the scriptures. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him uh, shall not perish but have eternal life. Here's the interesting thing about that. The word world that Jesus uses is, um, is this world, word. You ever seen it before? Cosmos, where we get the word cosmos. Jesus uses the word cosmos. There's two different words, or actually there's more than that, but there's two different words for world. Um, and one of them means the inhabitants of the world, the people of the world, oikonome. Jesus doesn't use that word. He uses cosmos. Cosmos literally means created order or orderly creation. All right? Um, to the, the idea... Um, the idea of this orderly, orderly arrangement is the most literal phrase of understanding cosmos. Uh, is it, oh, this is where we get cosmetics from as well. All right, so, so in, now what we think when we talk about something cosmetic is just surfacey, but the deeper understanding of cosmetic is actually to bring into order. <laughs> so taken in the most redemptive way, um, those of us that, that don't use makeup or, or don't like shave a lot, are, we're, we're in disorder. Um, but, uh, but, but seriously, it, it means to bring, into, to bring into beautiful arrangement and beautiful order, okay? Um, and so when we think about that, think about bringing something harmonious into play, God so loved all of the harmonious order 
of all things, that he sent his son. Think about how that enlarges what we think about. Sometimes we want to take people and, and, and pull them completely out of the equation and say, well, Jesus just came obviously for people and everything else is just going to burn away. And you can find scriptures if you want to, to to prop that up. I don't think they're the best choices. I don't think that's the story. I think it was, um, I think there's a much bigger and deeper story that you see carried out through the scriptures of a renewal of all things. But when we understand that God so loved the cosmos, all of the created order, that he sent his son, we understand that maybe as a part of creation, God cares about all of creation in some way that connects us with it. Some way that means that we should look at it in a unique and, and important way. Um, and it, it's just beauty, beautiful. Order in the scriptures means care. If there, chaos um, means that there is a lack of care being given. So, so the idea of bringing things to order or no sense of order means that there's not care. So God's talking about how a world that has been carefully put together. So in this context, Jesus seems to be intentionally speaking broadly. Um, all for God so loved all that has been created that he gave his one and only son. So it has these personal implications, but it has something to do with the entire world that God created, that God cares about, that Jesus came to impact. So, so the, um, the big idea then, if we understand God so loved the world in this way, is God so loved all that has been created that he sent his son. God loved all of this created and ordered world perfectly that he sent Jesus. So there's an implication there that we lean into. So Jesus and his mission then are deeply connected to the earth, more than, than humanity, but all of creation. Think about even Jesus' images so often involve the earth and people's relationship with it, right? His stories, birds, seeds, crops, seas, planting, cultivating, people's relationship with is so fascinating. Um, it's not surprising that much of the early church's theology saw Jesus as working to redeem everything and that every created thing was connected to Jesus. This is where we get the understanding of, of a passage like Colossians. One, the Son is the, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. So already Jesus is connected to all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus. And through him to reconcile, here we go, reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, all things, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Okay? Take a look at that final verse, verse 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus, and through Jesus reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood. So what we get when we look at Jesus' vision of the reconciliation and redemption of all things is that God so loved all of the created world that he sent Jesus, and Jesus' work to redeem us includes work to redeem everything else. So the third big idea theologically here is that the, that the redemptive work of Jesus impacts all of creation, not simply humans. This broadens the beauty 
of the work of Jesus if we start to understand it as such. And this is further developed then in Romans. Um, oh, oh, by the way, I should say that um, Colossians here, is, Paul's words, seek um, to see the work of Jesus as all-encompassing in contrast to the sin of Adam, which brought in brokenness to all of creation, remember, in the Genesis story, not just to people. So the idea of the Genesis story talks about how during, by humanity's choice to sin, all of the world was brought under bondage of some way. All, there, there was this, this darkening of all of God's creation, and so Jesus is the, is the, the anti-Adam, or the new Adam, which I like more. Both of those phrases are used in the scriptures. Sometimes he's like the opposite of Adam. Sometimes he's the second Adam, depending on, on which argument Paul is using. Um, but there's beauty there in saying that through Jesus, all things get healed. All things, just like all things were broken under a broken system of, of selfishness. There's such beauty here for all of us. So the redemptive work of Jesus impacts all of creation. Um, okay, this is then finally our, our last step. This is further developed in the book of Romans. All right, and hopefully you guys don't mind doing some theology here. It's, it's fun. I like it. But... Um, you didn't choose it. I did, so I, I fully understand that. All right, so um, a new layer of emphasis comes in Romans 8. All right, so in Romans 8, we get, first of all, can we just sit with this first sentence? Because Paul is talking about the work of Jesus and the power of grace and all these other things, and he says, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Jesus is, Jesus, is, Jesus is at work to reconcile all things, to bring all things into right relationship. People with God, people with one another, people with the created world around them, God with the created world. Jesus is working to reconcile and bring all these things together in harmony, in orderly arrangement. But here in Romans, it says, but there's a role that God's people play. Remember all the way back, the beginning of Genesis. People are given this this responsibility to care for and rule over the earth and the earth is broken and Paul is all of a sudden right for creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed just imagine that a broken world in need of care is longing for the Jesus people to step forward and do their work for the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Ooh, boy, this is so apropos. Um, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, so we who've gotten through Jesus a taste of eternity, we also, you see the connection between humans and the created world? We also groan and long for God to set things right, right? Groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our body. So we know that God is up to something. We trust it. We trust that God is working to renew our bodies to one day restore all things in the kingdom of heaven in eternity. But right now, we know that it's only partial, and our world certainly knows that it's only partial. So the world is waiting for God's people to step up and show the love and value of the created world. 
in light of the creator God. So God is doing something, but we are called to as well. So the fourth big idea is as people who are both a part of God's creation and being redeemed by Jesus. Creation itself is awaiting our partnership in the redemptive process of all things. Um, there's just such beauty there. There's such beauty. Um, God is doing something, but to be created in the image of God means that we are a part of the redemptive process. To be caretakers of God's good world and to be God's ambassadors in his redemptive kingdom in every single way. Just like we believe that God will one day eradicate all evil, all hatred, and all injustice, we believe that God will do that one day, but until that time, we work at it because we are people created in God's image. Just like that, we believe that God will renew and restore the earth and all the created world one day to goodness, but until that comes, we work at it. We honor. Just imagine a beautiful artist whose work has been discovered and how it ought to be cared for. A new Van Gogh painting was discovered in a basement somewhere. Think about the work and care that it would take, that people would want to treat it with such honor and respect and care to reveal it to the world, but also because it's just intrinsically valuable because who created it? That's our calling as people when we look out at the world around us, when we look at the earth. So that's the theological foundation, all right? Uh, but we want to keep processing um, how we see these things uh, as sacred as it gets involved in our practical lives. Ian, come on up, brother. And we'll go with the third microphone. I'll give you this one, Ian. Let's scoot that up just a little bit so that people can maybe see from different angles. All right. Um, so here's the, here's the problem, the problem with having Ian up here. The problem is that Ian's career is connected to this. And so therefore, it becomes a temptation to say, well, yeah, Ian should talk about this. He, he should help us talk about this. But, you know, that's because it's his, it's his career. And so let's just call that what it is right now, um, which is short-sighted, because that's just a part of what we're going to talk about and, um, and the calling for each of us personally, and even for Ian personally, um, is, is the same, and we're invited into this work, um, having very little to do with, you know, if your career path um, somehow is connected to environmental work or justice or not. So, all right, um, we'll get to that in a minute. All right, so Ian, you've been listening, we've talked. What do you, what do we miss in this area and in this subject when we boil down, let's say, Christian environmentalism to... Um, I want to recycle, and I'll make sure to ride my bike to work on, on Earth Day. So um, I think it's first helpful to clarify that recycling and biking to work are not bad things. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> so, but, but I think that's good, because I think in the same way, when we think about Christian life, right, if, well, let me just say that by saying just by boiling down caring for God's creation to recycling and riding your bike to work, you yeah. miss these, these big ideas that Keith was just talking about. And I think in the same way, if we're thinking about our Christian life, like if we boil down our faith to just reading your Bible in quiet time, they're not bad things. Yeah. 
they're incredible things to really help grow your relationship with God. Um, it's an important part of the discipleship process, but if, we're doing, if we just boil down our faith to that, then we're missing a larger picture of the beauty of, of God and the beauty of the way that God's working in our world and in ourselves, in our communities, in the redemptive nature, things like that. Yeah, so, so we, I would say so that's we, we take this in a small like, oh, the national parks are good. You know, right. we should we should have those. It's good to take exactly. a hike. Yep. You know, and and to go beyond to go beyond those understandings and right. seeing the connectedness of exactly of exactly. Hmm. Um, so what what is your work and what brought you into the field that you're in, Ian? Why don't you try to explain it? To sure. Everybody? Um, it's always hard to explain, but I think the best way to describe my work is. Um, I help people make, I help bring people together to make decisions that are good and uphold the value and the needs of human beings, but also upholds the value and the needs of environmental systems to thrive properly. So I, I think if, if you put it in another way, it's really helping to understand where human society and the environment intersect and um, really looking at the needs of both the environment and humans within that intersection and upholding both of those as, as really important and, mm. and valuable just because there are those interconnections. Mm. Um, I guess getting to your second question yeah, about how I got, what brought me into it. Um, interestingly enough, I always wanted to do, I always, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be in a career where I was helping people. And it was interesting because when I mentioned that, you know, when I was younger, adults would always be like, oh, so you're going to be a doctor, right? And again, nothing against doctor, being a, a doctor or a physician or anything like that, but it, would, it, it just didn't interest, it just wasn't a, a, a interest to me. So, it, but I always, I always, also always really just really enjoyed being outdoors, really cared about animals and just things like that. But as I started going into my studies, especially in college, I started realizing how, how essential um, work, work in the environmental field is to upholding the needs of human beings just because yeah. of that interconnectedness. So I, I guess one example of that is that one of the things, that one of the professors that really impacted me when I was, I was in college was a hydrogeologist. And these are geologists, people who study the earth systems and understanding how, where water comes from and how water travels through the, through the earth and everything like that. And um, this professor really taught me like the importance of hydrogeologists and in, in, in helping to secure clean and um, essential water resources for people all around the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that was my first, a first really big impactful um, understanding of how the earth and human society were, are, are, are so interconnected. I think another example is um, just some of my past work where I've been working in coastal management um, as well as climate change planning and realizing that all the different elements that we have in terms of everything from like driving a car to where we develop housing and things like that really affects people's lives. Um, so for example, we understand that climate change, there's different impacts all around the world as a result of climate change. But one of the biggest things that we do see is that areas that are already suffering from, for example, drought under climate change are just gonna be even worse. And those tend to be the places where um, you know, some of the poorest areas of the world, or, so, you know, where we see areas where there's intense coastal flooding and hurricanes and typhoons. Those tend to be in areas where people are already, there's a huge population already living along the coast. Mm. So for me, my work in the environmental field is never just about, you know, caring for the environment. I mean, it is, but it is because there is this understanding that 
caring for the environment also inherently means caring for other people. Yeah, and that was that that was really striking to me when we talked that that was your first response for what brought you in because uh, you know I get I think what the expectation was was well I really just I'm. I love God's beauty, you know, in the in nature and stuff like that. And your first response is, "Well, I, I've always wanted to love others." And and there's something there about the story of our connectedness to it that um, we're gonna maybe talk about consumption in just a minute. Yeah. But like when we think about, let's say, recycling or or even producing less less waste, we think, "Well, that's because we want to care for the earth." We don't often think about the fact that most of our dumps are connected to lower income housing where people have higher rates of asthma because of the exhaust and the disposal problems with pollution in those areas where our waste often ends up. And all of a sudden this becomes about loving people. This all of a sudden is not about like, you know, making sure that we have enough trees out there. It's about caring for, for human lives. And so, so this intersection that we've created a disconnection from naturally. I think as Christians, the story is just right there for it to become reintegrated again with, with loving and caring for people. Um, okay, so here we go then. Let's, let's just move into the practical area for a couple minutes. You know, what, what practical encouragements do you have um, for us as we learn to see the world as holy? What does it look like to live in a way that honors God's creation and our place in it? Um, yeah, what, like, what do we do about this? Because it feels big and it can be overwhelming. Yeah, and I think it's interesting of your choice of words here with encouraging, right? Because so much of what we hear about environmental aspects, environmental news is so discouraging, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but I think the most encouraging part is really the, the aspect of, I think just we as humans have, is we always have a choice, right? And I think in many ways, when we think about the sort of the root word of holy, which is set apart, we can, we, we, we have a choice in what we are setting apart and, and understanding what God is declaring as, as good and as, as sacred as intrinsic value. So, for example, um, a choice that I make, I'll, I'll talk about this, and is just this idea, and I'm sure you've all heard the mantra of reduce, reuse, recycle. Um, oftentimes people just see it as a mantra, like, okay, you know, I'll just do all three, whatever. But I think people in the environmental field tend to see that as not just a mantra, but as a hierarchy. So it's better always to reduce your consumption. And then, you know, if you can't do that or unwilling to do that, then re reuse and then recycling is, is, is kind of a, not the last option, but, you know, just a, a third best option. Mm -hmm. So for me, um, I'll say in terms of like a choice and, and also just thinking about in terms of holiness too is, is, is this idea of when I'm choosing to reduce my consumption, it's not just an environmental choice. Um, oftentimes we hear about, like, for example, fast fashion, <laughs> right, and how bad it is environmentally in terms of, like, the waste and wh wh where it goes. But also fast fashion, for example, um, if I'm choosing not to, like, buy new clothes every single year, it's also caring for um, people who are in, maybe in, uh, poor conditions where they're manufacturing that clothing, for example, or where a lot of the waste that comes from that, um, uh, from that industry is going. So for me, there's uh, part of the holiness is also understanding how we are all, we're all connected again, both, you know, me as well as 
uh, different people all around the world, but also the environmental impacts of it too. Mm -hmm. So, so much of, I guess, the consideration is um, just thinking about what are the conscious choices that we're making. And part of that conscious choice is thinking about how are we connected to the environment, how are we connected to one another, and also just making sure that those, uh, understanding that being conscious and making those choices is not always gonna be, and often is not the convenient choice either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's where we get into spiritual formation so deeply, right? Like, again, this is not disconnected from the rest of our lives. Like, we're taught to find, to be able to learn to find our contentment in Christ. So much of our consumption is our need to find contentment elsewhere apart from Christ. We need enough things, you know, to, to have the good life. And, and so, so when we learn to live in ways that honor the earth and God's created, God's orderly arrangement of, of things that, that are intended to live in harmony, we often find that part of the byproduct is that we are formed spiritually in other ways, personally. Greater self-control, you know, um, greater uh, ability to not be formed as a consumer. Like, Todd and I were talking about that yesterday, you know. It's just so easy for us to be formed by the world around us as consumers. That's our, de that's our uh, consumers and customers is our, is our um, identity to the world, right? And so, so when we learn to live in slightly different ways, with our stuff, it also shapes learning to be content in, in God. And then we find greater freedom. And it all is working in the same, you know, thing. I would also recommend finding somebody uh, who is very similar to you in size. Yeah, my mm -hmm. shirt I'm wearing used to belong to Ben, currently. Um, but uh, so, so there's just so many ways that we can learn to be creative um, that actually we find maybe doesn't quite affect our quality of life as much as we might think but the choices are still hard to make sometimes. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, just the idea of the convenience that you mentioned, I think, is something that is, and we're going to invite you to be reflecting on this in a minute, but is, is something that that idea that you just said, the environmentally loving choice is not always the most convenient choice. And, um, and we don't often think about that as directly connected to our faith in Christ. Um, we just think, well, that's a good way to live, yeah. But it's so much more than that um, when we see this as, as God's holy earth. Um, the other thing that we should, that we have to mention, right, is the reality that when we look at the situations across the world, it's not just about us as individuals. We can't, we can't say, well, well, our choices don't matter, so we should do whatever we want. There's nothing Christian in that attitude ever. Um, but there are bigger systems that also shape and impact the world um, out there that, that, are worth, that are worth talking about. Um, so how do we even approach the larger systems of the world? What, what do you think the Christian responsibility is? What does it look like? I'm just kind of spitballing here a little bit. You mean in terms of like how do we react to Yeah, how do we relate to the big systems of the world that are kind of, you know, destroying, destroying the environment, you know, like what's, what's a Christian's responsibility? Do we have one? Do we throw up our hands and say, well, can't do much? What do you think? No, I mean, I think often, well, I'll put it this way. I think oftentimes, and I've heard this from people, and I, I, unfortunately I hear it a lot from the younger generation too, which is, you know, well, environmental, there are environmental systems keep being damaged. There's nothing we can do. Mm. I mean, there's no point in doing anything, right? Why recycle? Why do anything? It's not going to make a difference. Um, but I... 
I think for me, I try to think of that in terms of like, when we are, we, when we are as Christians are called to, you know, to love our enemies, to care for the orphan, care for the widow, um, care for the poor. Are we doing it because we know that every single action that we're making is going to make a huge difference? I mean, of course, I think we would, you know, of course that's the hope, but I think ultimately we're doing it because we're, we want to better be able to understand and practice and draw closer to the heart of God. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think for me, when I think about in choices that I make in terms of, you know, my care for the environment, it's not, it's not because I ultimately think, and I, I mean, I do hope, but it's not because I ultimately think every single thing I'm going to do is going to make a huge difference. For me, it's this understanding of, like, God has deemed every part of creation intrinsically valuable. As in, in, And I also understand that the choices that I make are so intertwined and so connected to and its impact on the environment and to other people, too. So for me, I think, I guess just the, the Christian response is not necessarily looking at things as being, like, too big, but understanding what are the choices that we can make in terms of under, better under, first, I guess, thing, first is just better understanding our relationship with the environment. Hmm. Um, because it's, environmental systems are really complex, but they're also really beautiful. Like, when you start looking into, like, you know, how do ecosystems repair themselves? Like, how does what we do impact the environment? And I think just getting that better understanding of what we do hmm. helps us get a better sense of, like, the choices that we make and why we're making our choices. Hmm. And I think that makes it so much more valuable in terms of the conscious choices that we're making. So it's not, we're not just recycling because we know it's good, but we're recycling because we know the impact it has on, you know, if we don't recycle, the impact it could have on areas that we are exporting our trash to. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think a lot of it is just making those, those conscious choices. And, you know, caring about the systems of the world and, and, that, and its impact also means that there's a responsibility to be aware of what policies are affecting our world. You know, uh, unfortunately, we just go in this direction where everything becomes such a partisan fight um, that, that it's all just about allegiances. But to learn, like, what, are, what policies are actually honoring to God's creation? How can we help support those things? Um, and, and to be informed, like, there's a, a responsibility on the macro level um, to at least be aware of what's happening and not, you know, have our head in the sand and just say, well, I'm not going to be aware of any of those things. I'll just do my own thing. Yeah, and I think that, that comes to a better understanding. Again, I think another, I guess, symptom of separating ourselves from creation is also not understanding how society as a whole, when e each mm. individual is making individual choices, the, the larger impact that has on the environment overall, or the larger that impact that has on society or populations overall. Yeah, because as we change our values, companies, corporations begin to reflect the values of the people. Exactly. Um, even if they're trying to make money, if people are deciding, here's, <laughs> here's what I value and here's what I'm going to spend money on or things, th those things do speak. They do. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, like you mentioned earlier, final kind of question that we'll, that we'll chat about. Um, environmental issues tend to depress people, yeah. right? Like what difference is this really going to make anyway? Um, how can we approach this maybe in a different way? We often speak about Jesus' third way approach. How do we what kind of an attitude leads us maybe to, to approach this element of our discipleship with different attitude than just a doomsday mentality or, or the uh, just this is so depressing to even think about? Yeah, I think so much of it comes down to understanding the, as you were talking, in the same way they were talking about artwork, understanding the beauty of creation and um, 
so much of under, uh, and we got to come back to this whole point of understanding the beauty of creation comes down to understanding how the world works. Like having that curiosity again that we had as kids when we would go out into the woods and just understand and be like fascinated by a bug or a caterpillar or something like mm -hmm. that, right? You know, wh why did we lose that 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 idea of like wonder and magic um, and understanding how the world works? Because I think again, when we start understanding how the world works, we start understanding more how what we do impacts the systems of that world. But it also helps us to think more creatively about, okay, well, if I'm understanding this wor our world better, I understand how I'm interconnected more and more with it, it helps us to make choices that are, it helps us, it helps us to see that making choices, making environmental choices is integrated into our everyday life and becomes choices that we make as Christians too. Yeah. It's not, as you were saying, it's not just like, oh, well, we're doing this too because it's the right thing to do. It's, it becomes choices that you're making as a Christian that becomes a larger part of understanding the heart that God has for the world. Hmm. So we step into that image-bearing responsibility. And I, I, we talked about this just a little bit. I will mention that if we see this then as a part of our discipleship and we understand where guilt often has been made to control us within Christian faith instead of freedom and living a new life, not because we're constantly feeling like we're not good enough, but because we understand how much God loves and values us and, and the people around us, then it becomes the same thing. So instead of like, like we are a part of this system, we can't get away from the fact that, you know, if you have a cell phone, <laughs> you're a part of systems that often have some pretty rough environmental impacts. Like we're not going to be able to get away from every single thing, but we can we can make the choices that say, all right, I'm going to do my best to live with integrity. I'm going to actually learn about things, but I'm going to be able to do so with a hopeful attitude instead of just I'm constantly feeling horrible about everything I'm doing, right. which really does not help. And I think it's really cool because, <laughs> right, what are the things that inspire us when it comes to environmental things, right? I think of, like, sometimes we see artwork being made from, trash that's pulled from the ocean, right? Or seeing some of the greatest innovations that we're seeing these yeah. days, which is like, oh, this is so great for the environment, but it's also helping people. It's really low impact. And it's just so inspiring to see. And to think that that, you know, living with, living with in, um, I guess in harmony, I know that sounds really cliche, but living in harmony with the world around us and how, just how exciting that is and how that was, it's almost like how we were created to be. Yeah, can right? we see God's redemption yeah. in that? Instead of like, that's a cool thing. But can we see God's redemption of the world happening through those moments, through the creativity that, he's, that God has given human beings now to make right things that have been broken and systems that have been broken? Um, is, you know, that's where we go back to this redemptive, redemptive imagery that, that when we see the world as holy, we begin to see God's redemptive work happening in all sorts of different ways, and we want to get more involved in that, just like we want to get more involved in loving and, and caring for, you know, the poor, just like we want to be more right ways of living with how we spend money and, and how we treat other people with our words. It becomes the same, in the same vein um, of just wanting to live that consistent life. And we talk about yeah. righteousness. Right, yeah. In the scriptures, righteousness is just right ways of living. It's, it's a very literal definition. The word for righteous, we often think of it as high and holy. The word righteous, to be righteous, is right ways of living and relating to God and, and to others. And that's, this is all a part of learning righteousness. And I think you were talking about in the same vein, but oftentimes it's in the same action too, right? Mm, yeah. So again, sometimes the action that we take that is most loving to people is also <laughs> very loving towards huh. God's creation overall. Well.
Yeah. So under, I, I think, again, just broadening our view of the choices that we're making and seeing how we can really emphasize and really um, live in God's redemptive work by making choices that are just good overall. Mm. Good stuff. All right, thanks, Ian, for lending your voice and your wisdom to us. Appreciate your, your uh, willingness to hop in, yeah. And if you want to stay up, Ian, we're just going to take a, a moment here, um, and I'll, in case you want to um, toss anything back in terms of responses, if I can get... Kane, can you throw the, the personal reflection questions up? Thanks. So, um, so here are just a couple questions for you to think personally. Okay, uh, we're not going to talk about these, but, but as we've kind of worked through some of this stuff, do I see myself as being, here we go, now it's back, great. Do I see myself as being a part of creation or separate from it, naturally? Like, is this a little bit of like a, huh, I mean, I know I'm a part of it, but this, this helps bring things out, um, or, or is that a struggle for you? Is my value of convenience woo, more significant than my value of living reconciled with the earth? It's a tough one. Do I see myself as a part of the larger systems of the world and environmental degradation? Or am I like, no, you know, that's, that's somebody else's problem. Or do I understand that, that I'm a part of the system? And if everything is redeemed by love, how am I loving all that God considers intrinsically sacred? Uh, which is one of Ian's questions that I really, really appreciated. Um, so, so those are just questions that might stir something in you personally. Maybe one of those questions um, is something you want to write down or, or think about later this week. Uh, right